Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of my podcast channel, Data Science with Sam. Today we're going to discuss about actual science and what's the future of actuaries in collaborating with data scientists that can reshape the insurance industry. To that purpose, I joined by an esteemed guest from actual community, Charles Johnson. He's a CEO at Actual Development Institute and a seasoned actuary. Charles, welcome to the session. I'm very happy to have you here. Thanks so much, Sam. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to have me on. I think we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about today, so I'm, I'm excited. Sure, so as you said, there are a lot of fun stuff to talk about, so let's get down to that. So to start with the discussion, obviously I'm more curious to know about your journey in the actual uh, science space. So obviously my viewers and listeners would be interested to know about how you became an actuary and how you started the journey in the first place. So my first question would be obviously kind of like, what motivated you to become an actuary in the first place? So if you could literally giving us a little bit of a historical rundown of that, that'd be great. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, my, my journey was, was non-traditional. Um, usually when we say non-traditional in the actuarial field, we talk about like career changers or people learning late. Uh, the traditional path being you go to college, you get an entry-level job. So it was traditional from that sense. But um, why I became an actuary is pretty non-traditional. I didn't know what it was. Um, I was a psychology major. To get, Just to give you some background, when I was... Uh, when I was young, when I was a teenager, I was a less than stellar student. I uh, uh, had lots of you know, challenges and issues that teenagers do. And um, I found the field of psychology fascinating. I loved helping people. Um, I wanted to understand how people worked, how to become happier myself, how to make other people happy. Um, but I come from a family of engineers and uh, you know, like having any professional background in your family, there's at least some pressure and so um, I was constantly reminded that, you know, to, you know, to be a good psychologist, you need to get your PhD and it takes a long time. And um, I remember working my first job and thinking, you know, it was a terrible job, like cold call telemarketing. Like if you see in the movies where there's like a table, a long table, and you have like the, the corded phones in a phone book and there's just like people sitting there calling, like that's, that was my first job. It was terrible. It was hundred percent commission. I didn't make minimum wage. But I still liked doing that more than I liked just traditional academic school. Okay. So I was like, man, I want a job. Like, I want a job where I can make money. And so I went to my advisor and I said, you know, I want to be an engineer. And she said, um, well, we don't have engineering in our school. At the time, I went to Illinois State. Um, so the first thought that crossed my mind was, you know, I don't, I guess I'm going to have to switch schools. And she said, well, you know, changing majors, it could be challenging. What classes have you taken? Yeah. And I said, you know, I've been taking calculus class. My mom got her MBA and she always said, and I'm sure, you know, you as a data science can empathize with this, but it's, it's so hard to relearn math. So just like keep educating yourself all the time. That's the easiest approach. So I just kept taking calculus classes and um, she said, well, you know, we have this really ridiculously hard math major. So why did I become an actuary? It was these two questions. I said, um, well, what's the higher rate out of college? And she said, if you can graduate with a degree, you'll almost certainly find a job in the field. And I was like, oh, that's promising. I said, well, how much do they make? And she said, you should be making six figures within three to five years out of school. And I said, I'm going to do that. <laughs> She's like, it's really hard. I was like, I don't care. I'm going to, I'll figure it out. I want to do whatever that thing is. That sounds like the, the job field I'm looking for. Um, so it was a very steep learning curve, very challenging. Um, you know, I was not prepared to be an actuary. It was way harder than I could have possibly imagined. Um, but what I found was that the demands placed on me, uh, you know, to study for exams, to learn really difficult mathematics. Um, I, I loved the kind of person I became in, in the pursuit. And I think it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it now. Um, I think understanding probabilistic thinking, financial mathematics, all the different fields that you kind of have to learn to become an actuary. And then the process of like taking exams outside of an academic classroom, which is really about like self-education so embracing self-education and consistency, applying it to highly technical fields. I, I just, I loved all of that. And then I love the people too. You know, when you get your first job and you're surrounded by these incredibly intelligent, hardworking, 
you know, it's a humbling process going through the exam. So, you know, most actuaries don't have that big of an ego. You kind of get knocked down in the process. So I just enjoyed, you know, the culture of it as well. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's kind of like fascinating to see the way you kind of like switch your career path. And I mean, even if from an, you come from an engineering background, you have a background in your family, but you decided to go with the actuaries. I mean, obviously you do have passion for mathematics and scientists and, uh, you know, the statistics part, but I really agree with you, you know, actually it's kind of like a lucrative option when it comes to choose a career path or maybe start making a kind of a handsome uh, figure of uh, salary, you know, like within a few years of the professional career. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. And being a data scientist, I had the privilege of working with a lot of actuaries. And I could tell that, you know, some of the actuaries whom I met throughout my professional journey had kind of a similar sort of like, a, you know, like a, I would say the career journey like you and like, I totally resonate that. And one thing I wanted to mention, since you mentioned the calculus and other stuff, okay. So uh, just for my listeners or viewers, you know, some aspiring students were kind of like listening to this podcast. Uh, do you think uh, when you started this actual journey or started taking the exam, uh, did you have to like go back to your like uh, mathematics classes or, you know, start re re relearning all those stuffs? Or you already had that foundation ready and that helped you to pass all the exams in the first place? I mean, I guess some students would be interested to know about that. So I thought of, you know, bringing that question to yeah. the that, That's a really good question. Um, so rarely have I found collegiate programs where the class curriculum is sufficient to pass an exam alone. You, you have to study in addition to the classes. So for my first two exams, you know, I, I after the classes within, I don't know, six months of finishing a class, I was studying or sitting for the exam. Um, after I passed the first two exams, I began studying for exams before the classes. And this is, I actually talk to students about this a lot. Um, you know, I think for the first two exams, like the content, the content is so foundational, but it's less the math and more the frame of thinking, right? You know, I always appreciated that in, in college classes. Like, yeah, you know, I, I go and learn about world history. And so I, I know some facts about the history of the world. But what I really gleaned was by the end of the semester, I got to view the world through the lens of what historians think about and, and look like why things are the way they are today. I mean, and so just having a guide for those first two exams is really important. But for even if you're in a really fortunate position where you know, you might have five exams in your college curriculum, which is an, an intense workload for an undergraduate, you will inevitably have to take exams without coursework. So I, I very much believe that from day one, like the most important thing to becoming an actuary, and I mean, it's, it's kind of a foundational skill set in general is self-studying. Like you should study on your own a topic that is not required by your class load, like once a day, even if it's like 10 minutes. Just yeah. get in that habit of consistently looking at material and trying to self-educate. And I think that's interesting. I, I mean, I'm curious. From uh, Charles, I lost you. And I'm back, right? Yes, you're back. Okay. I was thinking about this before I got on the call today, about the experience of professional data scientists. Right. Like I imagine comparing it to something like the, the, the field of plumbing, right? Like fluid dynamics doesn't change over time. And while there are probably some advancements in material science, like fundamentally how you build like plumbing for a building hasn't changed radically. Um, but the field of data science, <laughs> it's radically changing continuously. So like to be good at your job and self-education must be like so important. I mean, I can give you my thought process on that. Um, I think somebody, uh, it was like a data scientist from a very big, uh, big tech industry company. I don't remember if it was from Apple or Google. He made a very good comment about data scientists was, data scientist is kind of a computer programmer who is better in statistics than the traditional developers. But um, they are like not very good in software engineering cases as compared to a developer. So if you want to be a data scientist, you have to be, you have to learn the statistics and you have to be better than other traditional programmers and developers out there. 
but from the web developments or any sort of like a programming language standpoint, you can go by that if you just know a very specific programming language. However, that notion has been changing right now. So that definition is not at all valid at this moment because when I took my data science program, I realized that I had to learn even a JavaScript. I had to learn even go back to all my web development classes because now, uh, I mean, the data science role is so demanding that industry practices require us to come up with a proof of concept. So if I build a model, and if I can't demonstrate that model by deploying it in a production or build a, like a POC app, like proof of concept app, then that's like useless. So it's like going back to the same thing, you know, you've got to like self-learn certain tools and technologies that were not taught by the program, the degree program that you went through just to get your data science. Sometimes you got to study more or self-learn some of the new toolkits or programming language that'll help you in your industry job. So I feel like the actuaries are something like that. I mean, even if you go through your ASA or if it's a program, uh, when it comes to industry job, you might need to learn uh, different programming language. You might need to like, you know, learn a different toolkits as, uh, you know, kind of like correlates with your data analysis, your analytics or any risk ass assessment practices. Like uh, while working with the actuaries, I've seen that we used a lot of third party software, you know, vendor, whether mm -hmm. it's Comcel or, you know, from Polysystem or any other companies. And I've seen that actuaries had to learn those softwares and those softwares are kind of like it's an accurate knowledge that they need to learn while doing their jobs and something they are not, you know, they, they didn't study during their actual program. So I, I think that's that's where actually I feel like it's actuaries and data scientists, we kind of go through same rigorous learning curve. It just, uh, our paths are different. We got a different degree, but it's, uh, you know, when it comes to self-learning, I think these two roles are like, will be continuously evolving and, you know, we'll, we'll still learn more things about, you know, industry practice and other stuff in future. So that kind mm -hmm. of leads me to my next question, you know, like uh, since you're talking about the future, right, how that this role is going to shift. So how do you envision the future of uh, this actuarial role in the insurance industry? Because obviously the actuaries are kind of like a backbone in a certain insurance company. So do you think... Uh, this role is gonna just continue doing the same risk assessment or something you know they have been doing for a certain you know so and so company, or this role is gonna evolve into something else which we haven't you know imagined or never saw, you know like thirty to forty years of our insurance career. So just for like a hypothetical yeah. question, you know. Yeah. Well, no, I, I mean it's a it's a fascinating question. Obviously, one that actuaries uh, you know around the world um, wrestle with. So uh, I kind of want to paint a picture though, first, like understand before we talk about like where we're going, I was just writing this this morning about like the, this road of life that we're on, that like we have, to, we have to make sure we know where we're going, but we have to like appreciate the scenery of where we're in. So let me just like paint the picture of where we're in. So uh, just I'll, I'll throw a couple facts out there. The first one is that by regulation, actuaries are required right now. Right? Like why are actuaries and insurance so intertwined? If you think about data scientists, we data scientists work in a very broad set of fields, but almost all actuaries work in or consult for insurance. And why is that? Right? If our, I mean, sure, we have overlapping skill sets, but certainly finance, economics, financial mathematics, probability, that those concepts are used in a wide variety of industries. The reason they're so densely demanded in insurance is because of the regulatory requirements. Mm -hmm. So like our actuary is going to be totally 100% replaced by anyone or anything. Like, no, I think I would be hard pressed to see regulations changing. So that's, that's one that's kind of the foundational demand of actuaries is every insurance policy is required to be signed off by an actuary. Now let's look at another one, which is just the general job market for actuaries right now. Um, we talk about great job demand, job security, pay 7% job demand or job vacancy. 7% of the actual jobs out right there currently vacant, 1% unemployment, right? Yeah. So the, the number of job openings relative to the people is significant. And the number of people going into the profession, the number of students going into the major in school has gone down. They're 30, 40% off of their peak over the last five years. So what you see is a job that's necessary that is well-established in a specific industry, but is facing challenges in employment. So I wanna give you one other fact. 
So I have talked to several startup insurance companies. And if you look, I mean, of the insurance companies I've talked to, the average number of actuaries at that company is like two or three. Okay. Well, the average number of data scientists might be a hundred or 50. So there is no doubt that uh, historically speaking, some of the work done by actuaries can be replaced. And I think when you look at the credentialing organizations, the way that they're changing the content of the exams, they wanna make sure that the actuaries of the future can still fulfill those roles. But just because they can, doesn't mean economically they will. I think as long as companies cannot get work done, the penetration of data scientists into traditional actuarial roles will continue. So, me, so I don't know where it's going to go. Like, I would love to say that this is where I'm driving it. Certainly, I have a vision and I'm hoping to, to create pathways of the future. But I think the larger laws of supply and demand and economics will eventually drive the profession. Um, and it might just be, hey, you know, we need consulting actuaries to sign off on all of our pricing. And the, actuar the, the data scientists of the future could replace a lot of what actuaries do. Me personally, what I see is the opportunity like I think of opportunity that actuaries have. So let me just, let me ask somebody another, again, I'm trying to paint the scenery here. Um, how many people with data science degrees took financial accounting in school? That's a really good question. Um, so one thing I would say, definitely tell you that, I mean, again, I didn't actually know the exact statistics at the top of my head, but one thing I'm pretty sure about that, the most of the data scientists, at least uh, what I've seen in, different financing, accounting, or insurance industry are not uh, too very significant in the sense of like uh, where we are doing the traditional insurance business, like a big insurance companies. I've seen the number between actuaries and data scientists are kind of similar. And I, I feel like the actuaries are more for like a majority, like a, a workforce in the big insurance companies uh, compared to data scientists. However, I think this, I mean, the data scientists, uh, the importance of data scientists are coming up more in the insured tech companies. Like, for example, mm -hmm. as you mentioned that, you know, like you've seen, you already worked, uh, you know, uh, started discussion with some of the startups. And most of the startups are kind of, I would say, tech-based insurance company, because like Lemonade and others, you know, insured tech companies that came up. And I feel like their business is more oriented towards automating their pricing adjustment or underwriting practices than going through the traditional practices, which maybe a big insurance companies have still been doing. And I feel like that's why that uh, there is a little I mean, discrepancy in terms of actual workforce as a data scientist. But going back to your question, uh, I, I think in the finance accounting area, we still have a lot of data scientists, but still the number is not to that level where it could be something that, you know, the data scientists can take over some of the actual functionalities because we still need actuaries for the pricing assumption. I don't think so as a data scientist, I can't tell you that I have the skill set to like, you know, uh, give approval on companies passing assumptions or any sort of other actual judgmental stuff. Because that is something that responsibility should lies within actuaries. So uh, being a data scientist, working with the actuaries, I'm in a position that I can at least vouch for my opinion and tell people that actuaries and data scientists, it's something they should have a segregation of duties. It's not like the data scientist is gonna take over actual role or vice versa. That data scientist should, take over the, some of the roles that can be automated or kind of like minimalistic operations in the insurance world. Whereas actually should focus more on some of the areas where they can utilize their subject matter ex expertise, like pricing assumption, or maybe working with the underwriters to give them more, uh, you know, uh, you know, better acumen for the risk assessment or the valuation stuff, even cash flow testing and the ICAM related stuff. So yeah, uh, but, yeah, so I think I think that the 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 proportion of uh, you know from data scientists actually is still the kind of like same and the balance in between. But I'm 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 kind of legally surprised to know that you know like there are more data scientists working in the insurance company than actually is. This should not be the case. And I hope you know after this discussion, people would start realizing about that and they'll start hiring more actuaries in this insured tech companies because there are certain functionalities still need to be done by the actuaries and we can't rely on data scientists, you know. I mean, uh, we'll see, right? The economics bears the, the result, right? If they are able to be successful and compliant, 
then maybe they've stumbled onto a way of structuring and doing business. I mean, I also find it interesting, the resilience of the insurance industry as a whole, right? Yeah. We, we're very slow to change. We're very hard to disrupt. You know, one of my favorite quotes is um, selling insurance is one of the only products where you don't know if you made money after you've made the sale. You know, most yeah. products you sell it and you're like, I know what my profit margin is immediately. But with yeah. insurance, sometimes you don't know for decades, depending on the product you're selling. Yeah. And so um, certainly when you think about the skill sets of actuaries, those long-term contingencies, and particularly in the, the point I was trying to make, by the way, just taking a step back. When I asked, you know, do most data scientists take financial accounting? Is that the idea that I think where actuaries need all the skills that data scientists have, I, I really don't. I don't sit in that camp. What I think actuaries are really good at is the, the understanding and application of multidisciplinary areas. We understand financial accounting. We understand the balance sheet, the income statement. Yeah. Every actuary is credentialed in economics. We take micro and macroeconomics and, and prove that we understand that concept area. So yes, we understand statistics and probability and risk. And we're, we're building predictive models as part of our examination process now. But I think fundamentally where actuaries thrive is in the application. When we talk about collaboration between data scientists and actuaries, the point I'm trying to make is where that line is drawn right now, I think is still very fuzzy. Very and fuzzy. there is incre increasingly the trend at the industry level of insurance is that roles and responsibilities for actuaries are increasingly being done by non-credentialed actuaries. And to your point, I, you know, you said they should hire they should hire more actuaries. But remember, there aren't actuaries to hire. The job vacancy rate is seven percent. The unemployment rate is one percent. But the demand to get those things done is still there. So it's going to force companies to figure out other ways to get that work done. Uh, yeah, that's a really valid point. I mean, you mentioned because we don't have a lot of actuaries. Because now, if I consider, uh, you know, like you know, from data science perspective, we are taught to work with the subject matter expertise in different industry verticals to carry out data initiative or even like, you know, building a quantitative modeling or predictive model that can influence the business decision. So now when it comes to insurance industry, the subject matter expertise are actuaries. So that's the thing I point I wanted to make, uh, actually I was trying to make in one of the previous coffee chat sessions. And uh, I was trying to make that, you know, data scientists cannot, will not be able to function without actuaries if you're trying to, uh, I guess, you know, do some risk assessment practice or you're trying to do a, some predictive modeling, coming up uh, with uh, some sort of analysis based on historical record. We still need to work with the data uh, actuaries. And if companies have started thinking that, oh, data scientists are going to fill those actual roles, they're mistaken. I mean, you know, going back to the same point, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. that, you know, whether data scientists are going to, they, they went through the same rigorous financial accounting course to understand how the balance sheet work or how they can actually influence the predictive modeling. No, they, they are not. They are, we, we are not. So I, mean, I can give you one example. Like, uh, say, suppose I'm trying to build a predictive model just to predict the lapse rate or mortality, whatever. Yeah. In that, uh, being an act, you know, data scientist, I have to rely on actuaries to you know, lock down on some of the predictors. Okay, so yeah, obviously I can build a model. I can you know, write the code uh, in R or Python and coming up with a GLM or linear regression or any you know, models, but I still have to rely on an actuary to understand and analyze my data and the output and also give me, uh, I would say, solution on what kind of predictors that I could use to kind of like adjust the prediction so it could reduce the R square or maybe like improve the accuracy or something like that. I don't think so as a, uh, if a data scientist would try to do that, obviously we can do that. You know, we can definitely build a predictive model, but how accurate that would be from insurance industry or business standpoint that we cannot provide assurance for. So mm -hmm. I hope those insure tech companies and startups would take that into consideration, but as you said, you know their hands are tied because there are not many actuaries out there on the market, which is why I think it's more if, in, useful maybe for a data scientist who wants to work in the insurance industry, try to think about taking some programs, uh, actual program, and maybe just come up with, with a hybrid role where they would learn something about actual programs, 
by going through the program and they can you know obviously bring their data science knowledge so maybe having a hybrid role could uh, alleviate that resource shortage scenario a little bit where a data scientist can fill in a little bit actual functionalities but yeah yeah i mean but again i just want to be very uh, come clear on this that being a data scientist i don't think so i went to a program where i was specifically taught about finance or accounting or insurance uh, business domain knowledge. But I was told that you need to work with the subject matter expertise in certain business vertical to drive their business you know, initiatives. So I, I guess that's hopefully that answers your question or at least provides some clarity on the data science responsibility in the finance or insurance industry. Yeah, you touched on a lot of, a lot of good stuff there. We can we can move on to the next question. I'm sure we're going to come back and continue talking about. Yeah, that. so it, it's a kind of a very um, as I say, it's it's we it's a, the thin line is very fuzzy between data scientists and actuaries, and they're still trying to figure out what's the segregation of duties among themselves. But uh, it yeah. is at this moment. <laughs> and maybe um, maybe to go back to your initial question that the future of actuaries, where I believe, like when we look at the curriculum change, we're trying to encapsulate more of understanding data science because we're gonna, we're, we're increasingly dependent on data scientists yeah. and data science modeling. So we're adding this curriculum of understanding to it. But I think increasingly the value that actuaries can add to the business is in the risk and finance side. Understanding the data science models in context of the business. And so I think it's really, increasingly defining actuaries as like almost financial engineers. Because yeah. like ultimately what we do is we design financial products that exist in, in the marketplace. We build insurance products, we set up investment programs, we do asset and liability management, we do risk quantification, and we need to understand and leverage data models. But I think in no way, if you're trying to say, let's build the actual profession to be more like the data science profession, that that's gonna be a successful job path of the future. I think that we should increasingly demonstrate the value that we have that are different than data scientists and allow data scientists to thrive on the skill set that they have and leverage it as a partner. I think that's kind of like uh, bringing me to the next question is like, again, same thing, the growing partnership between actuaries and data scientists in the insurance industry. As you mentioned, that actuaries are going to bring their subject matter experts and work with the actuaries. So, do you think this uh, collaboration will continue to grow in future uh, where actuaries will be more like, I would say, uh, flexible to work with the data scientist and vice versa? Or do you think it's going to be more depends on the company's objectives? Like, you know, as you mentioned that, you know, there's some of the startups are basically hiring more data scientists compared to actuaries, maybe because of the resource shortage. Um, so yeah, so what do you think about that? You know, like, is it the partnership would grow in future or do you think like more knowledge transfer in between these two roles? Um, yeah, that's a, another really good question. So first, right, insurance industry is one of the most data rich industries that there is. So the, the success, just again, think, think about it from a natural competition, like a capitalistic standpoint. The companies that can leverage the data to make the best business decisions are the ones that will succeed. So it's less about what do people who run insurance companies think, it's almost what are the economic like uh, imperatives gonna be? Will you be successful? What's the right mode to success? So from that standpoint, like it's inevitable that data scientists are gonna continue to play a larger and larger role in insurance. It, it's just inevitable that there's such an immense data, there's such a complicated form of um, economic, I mean, from the investment side to the operation side, to the actual insurance products themselves. You know, the ability to use data science, predictive modeling to build data science models will be core to the business. Um, and I think from that standpoint, it does make sense that actuaries become increasingly knowledgeable of what data science is. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, our job has to be on the business side. That's truly what I believe the future is. And um, I also think that's the greatest opportunity, which is bringing actuaries outside of traditional insurance to continue that partnership, to help work with data science and data science modeling, to use them in business settings to create positive financial results. Yeah. Right. I actuaries quote this all the time. I don't know if you know this, Sam, if you can verify this, this is true, but 80% of, of data science models that are built don't end up actually getting used. Do you know if that's true? Yep. 
That's true. Yeah. We doesn't yeah. go to production because most of the cases we are literally bogged down with building some of the models that are not so sustainable or not providing the accuracy that we are looking for. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily a comment on the business I, understanding and more just like the natural what happens when you're trying to predict a complex result. And I feel like most of the cases, I think the main barrier is most of those models might not have that the business influence or the knowledge it requires to build a model. And that's where I feel like, again, it's, it's again, I guess a good avenue to think about the partnership. Maybe in that case, an actuary would help a data scientist to build a better model by influencing the decision or maybe help them that how they can come up with a better feature selection or maybe a predictors that could you know help them to build a better model uh, for any prediction purpose. And I think that's where the partnership would be more important because from a data science perspective, again, we are efficient in coding the uh, for you know efficient in like a programming for the for building the model, whether it's quantitative or qualitative doesn't matter. But we need to work together with uh, actuaries to understand how we can make the model better, or maybe that will influence the business decision in future. Uh, without actually, I don't think so that partnership would yield into something or eventually what will happen that most of the models that a data scientist will build will wind up just stuck in the development space, never move to production or never become a kind of a sustainable model for the, for the firm. So, yeah. I mean, and I think within yeah. the insurance industry, we see several use cases where like, it's just such a slam dunk. Yeah. like building underwriting models, like automated underwriting models. Like every great team is a mix of data scientists and actuaries and the business results are clear. The data is really rich. It's a very interesting dynamic process that's evolving. But what I wonder, and I'm curious from your perspective, is do you see opportunities outside of insurance for that kind of collaboration where actuaries don't, don't really proliferate right now? Uh, you mean outside of insurance industry, uh, where actually yeah. not pretty much like a like a common figure over there. Uh, yeah, the honestly, data scientists are. Yeah, that that's a really good thing you brought up because uh, I think a few months back I was reading a story where they mentioned that Apple is trying to. I mean, they have a big tech company. Apple is trying to hire some actuaries for their risk modeling practices. I'm not sure uh, very much about what's their main goal or strategy behind that. And I know Apple has already started their own finance division. We have Apple, mm -hmm. we all use that, you know, like for our transition purpose. So I feel like in future, again, this is just my um, kind of like opinion on that, that uh, slowly these big takes and other companies are trying to understand their value in the business. And I don't know from the actual standpoint, is there any other risk assessment or risk management practices that can be applicable to other businesses other than insurance? But I feel like uh, when it comes to finance, when it comes to like, uh, I would say a money-making engine, actuaries still be responsible. Uh, we can still use actuarial skill set to understand the risk behind it. And I'm pretty sure that that is the main reason why some of the big tech companies already started an avenue to start you know, hiring actuaries. And obviously the big techs are filled with uh, data scientists because they drive most of the data initiatives over there. And I never worked for any other big tech, so I don't know what's going on inside, but um, I, will be, I won't be surprised if those actuaries are closely working with data scientists to maybe amplify their data risk, risk practices or even also like, you know, having a more of like a knowledge transition session in between. It's just more of like a, these two roles can be mutually benefited more from, from each other. Like uh, in, uh, talking about insurance industry, data scientists can learn more about uh, asset liability management or some of the insurance uh, business domain functionalities. I think similarly, if an actuaries would work in a non-insurance industry, I feel like they would be more exposed to some of the I would say technology or some of the programming language or some modern mm. platforms that would help them to maybe make a better model. Maybe that will also minimize their timing, like running an operational practices. So an actuaries yeah. can literally like spend time on learning something or spending time more on, you know, applying some different mathematical formula or whatever. Okay. Because so many times <laughs> I've seen in my organization, in a like lot of organizations that, um, 
actuaries are also like running a lot of business operation practices and that also mm-hmm. takes a lot of time so what if you know like uh, they work more with the data scientists uh, who are aligned with i tech industry and you know try to atom- automate some of the you know like operation process so actuaries can spend more time in coming up with a different formula or maybe building a better pricing assumption model so Again, yes. it's just more of like a, a, I would say, a hypothetical opinion, my two cents on that. But that's where the industry moving, insurance industry, and I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that movement already started in other areas. And I think insurance industry or finance industry is slowly getting into that with more coll- collaboration between actuaries and data scientists. So I yeah. guess- So I'm going to go back to your original question, which was, what does that collaboration look like? And I guess maybe this might be unpopular, but I think it's successful in insurance. Yeah. Like the collaboration on average you doesn't can see work. That. You know, there's a, like a you know, yeah. outcome, positive outcome. On that. Yeah. And the trend I'm seeing is I think that point you made at the end where there are increasingly things that actuaries do as part of their job that can be filled by other roles and are by natural supply and demand. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing for the industry. Um, and to your point, actuaries will learn a lot more on the job by having those collaborations, by working with partners that have deep knowledge in an area that isn't purely the actuarial curriculum. Like, yes, we can continue to self-educate, but at the same time, we're taking our FSA exams. Data scientists are doubling down and diving deeper into their statistical and, and, and software bases that actuaries just aren't. So like, that's a great opportunity. I think it's going successful. I think the trend will continue that non-actuaries will be in actuarial departments. I think the biggest opportunity for the profession is what you talked about like with Apple, where getting actuaries to rotate or to work outside of traditional insurance to get uh, viewpoints and perspectives that can change the insurance industry by understanding technology and how technology companies work, but also can expand the value of the profession by demonstrating that a lot of the math and principles that operate inside insurance apply to other industries. Like, I don't know why, but I just think about this like, no, I mean, that's, was, that's was an actuary yeah. was an actuary running the asset and liability model at the Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, because if they were, they'd go, hey, if interest rates go up, it might not be a good thing and, for us. And <laughs> honestly, with all this fiasco going on right now, as we all know how the Silicon Valley Bank in, you know, uh, the liquidized and like this recent incident unfolded. I mean, and having an actuary might help you to better manage your risk and predicting the risk uh, beforehand. So I don't think it's a very bad idea to having an actuary uh, who can actually influence all the decision and safeguard your business from any unforeseeable risk scenarios. And I feel like uh, there will be more importance of actuaries in those big techs or in the Silicon Valley companies. And um, that also kind of like takes me to another question. I mean, like it was not part of my question, but since we're uh, talking about this, do you think that will also uh, make some changes in the actual curriculum in future, I know it's very, I mean, it's too early to say, like when an actuary, um, like if you think about that, uh, there'll be a growing demand in actuaries outside of insurance industry. Do you think that will also like um, influence some of the changes in the, in the traditional actual curriculum or the program that actuaries go through or pass the exams to become an actuary? Yeah, I will say as a credit to the profession, we, we are not short on changing curriculum. We do enjoy doing that every you know two years. Um, uh, so the credentialing organization I have, the SOA, one of the best things I think they've, uh, they've done in curriculum changes was a- adding corporate finance and enterprise risk management. You know, I got my chartered enterprise risk analyst, and I think that that perspective of looking at not just like individual product risk and like analyzing data, but looking at large swaths of risk and trying to understand things at the corporate, this aggregate level is uh, a, an opportunity that still has a lot of room for actuaries to, to apply it and demonstrate that skill set. Um, no. That being said, to, kind of to your point, yeah, I think the, the profession tends to be very good at looking at things that have happened historically and trends that are going on and trying to make sure that the new curriculum that students are going through prepares them as best as possible for the world that they're actually entering. Well, that's very good to know because at the end, I mean, obviously society of actuaries need to make sure the actuaries are kind of keeping up with the space of, you know, the speed of how the evolve, you know, 
the industry has been evolving when it comes to utilizing their actual skill set to help the business. And I think I remember, uh, I think a few years back, they introduced the predictive analytics uh, course also, right, in their program. Yep. Yeah. Also kind of a growing demand of predictive modeling in others. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of like we, we kind of like going into that uh, futuristic direction. So I'm going to actually ask the question, which is kind of a very burning question for uh, any other pro working profession, not only for actuaries. Like uh, being a data scientist, um, I've seen that a lot of people actually ask me that question that um, what do you think about this growing popularity of chat GPT or all this AI uh, <laughs> replace your jobs? You know, like now we can go to chat GPT, you can write, uh, you can basically get the full code. You can, if you want to just, if you want to like, you know, ask chat GPT about a SQL query, it will it'll give you the end-to-end -end SQL query. So technically that's kind of like endangered some of the data analysts, data scientists or data analytics position. And people already started talking about that. There's a, there's a conversation going on in, different forums that how AI can replace some of the jobs. And I'm definitely, I will give you my opinion later on that, but I want to know about you from you first, that uh, what do you think about that? Is it that the actual, actually is also start thinking about that some of those AI programs can replace their job in on jobs in future? Okay, so uh, this is such a great question. I think about this all the time. So I think this is a nice time to talk about the company. I'm yeah, exactly. We are literally in the middle of all this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, because I think this is kind of a core, a, a great way to kind of exemplify some of the things I'm trying to drive with my company. So my company's basis is that, you know, I talked about the number of people going into the profession is going down. I've talked about like why I truly fundamentally believe pursuing actuarial science is a good, it's a good thing. That the content you learn, financial mathematics, probabilistic thinking, um, the habits you form of self-education, I just believe broadly that benefits people's lives. On top of, you know, it's good. It's a good, reliable profession to be in if you want to be in it. But just the pursuit, I think, um, opens up a world of possibilities. So I, I work a lot with people, entry-level talent, you know, who is being educated. I work a lot with educational institutions. I present to students a lot to talk about what it takes to be in it now. But I also focus on like, you know, what, are, what is the biggest opportunity you have now as students to differentiate yourselves? Um, and I talk about AI all the time. So even in the company I run, I have a few, you know, people who work for me. Uh, in onboarding, I just like hired a couple new people. I sat them down and I said, look, part of your job is to figure out how to use artificial intelligence like ChatGPT as much as humanly possible. Like I want you on it every day, trying to think of like, how, how can I utilize this tool to solve problems that the business is facing? And when I go to talk to students, I'm like, look, right now you are on the precipice of just an absolutely radical change. And before we talk about what this change actually and its implications are, because I think you bring up really good points about replacing versus amplifying work. But I said, look, when you start your jobs internships this summer, right? We're talking like three months from now. ChatGTV came out with like two months ago. Right. Oh, yeah, in three months like late november yeah it's been like three months yeah sure four months yeah, yeah, yeah four months whatever very recently when you enter the job field they will have basically no application of using chat gpt or very limited work that is being done right now by actuaries to your point like write me a sql code that does this that may have taken an hour or two hours to write and test can be done in minutes. Yeah. If you as students, as entry-level talent can master this one new tool, you will have an opportunity to create an outsized impact in your role that has not been capable, that humans have not been capable of in all of human history. Mm -hmm. That is how radical I believe artificial intelligence is enabling and changing the way that we're gonna do work. So that's just that, that, like that, I think it's core to what we're like, what my mission, what I believe in. And to your point about like replacing work, I'll, I'll just pause there, Sam. What are, I mean, your thoughts. And then I'll talk about data science. I'm just going to say one thing, one quote that I learned from Twitter. And I really like that quote. So I'm going to say that. Uh, I think I forgot my mention, whoever mentioned the quote, is that AI will not replace your jobs, but a person using AI will. So that literally yes. brings down to the same comment that you made like a few minutes back that you are literally trying to enabling your, uh, you know, your employees to understand the AI and try to make it good use to amplify your business or make a better business decision for your customers. So yeah, so that's yes. the only thing I'm going to say. So you can 
continue. Yeah. Okay. I love, I saw that same quote on Twitter. It's That is so spot on. So that's why I tell students like learn how to use it and you'll be indispensable. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I remember the first national conference I went to as an actuary when I was credentialed. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of, of the person who spoke, but he talked about predictive analytics and he talked about specifically why actuaries are so fortunately positioned as a profession as, as predictive modeling um, improves. Because ultimately, the results of predictive models are probabilistic. They're not deterministic, right? We, they might give a most probable answer, but inherently, the answer is a probability space, uh, a variety of possible options. And you and I just yeah, take for granted. On, yeah, those probabilistic scenarios. Yeah. And you and I just take that for granted because you're a data scientist and I'm an actuary. And that is literally how we think and do our job. Yeah. But that is not a natural human way to think, right? Yeah. Like Daniel Kahneman in Thinking Fast and Slow, the Nobel Prize winning behavioral economist showed, we're bad. Humanity is objectively bad at probabilistic thinking. And unless you really study and practice it, all this bias you, yeah, you're going to have so much bias. Yeah. And so I think that that is that artificial intelligence, particularly things like ChatGPT, are going to be massive enablers for actuaries, where I don't think it will replace the work, but it will allow us to be significantly more impactful with what we do. Like to put it another way, I don't think that we're going to run out of work for actuaries. Yeah. I think that we will just be able to do different higher value work. Sure. Um, I'm curious your perspective as a data scientist. Now, certainly, again, there's a huge supply demand issue where there's not enough data scientists. So yeah. I don't think you'll run out of work either. But man, AI is a really powerful tool for well, building. One thing I would say that, you know, think about a scenario and I'm going to actually give you more of like a hypothetical answer that what is the importance of using ChatGPT in the data science world. Think about a scenario. I'm a data scientist. I'm working on certain business use cases and I don't know background or certain business term related to that. ChatGPT might help me to, you know, like amplify my knowledge so I can basically learn the business at the same time without mm. actuaries and I can start working on that without like relying on a human being to come to me and like, you know, start teaching me about some of the business terminologies. I know with those informations that are available on Google and internet or search engine, right? But I feel like ChatGPT has that, I mean, again, it's still not a, like a very robust platform, but it still has but that power of summarizing yeah, the answer in certain format that you can get everything, which will take you a few minutes to go over multiple links and Google and find out and consolidate those information. So that's where I think the I mean, the major impact ChatGPT will have in, in my data science work that I can get information mm -hmm. whenever I want through ChatGPT and that will help me to like, you know, amplify and accelerate my work. I mean, for my day job or any personal project that I've been doing, so. I, yeah, and I'll even take that one step further, right? Right now we're using open source information, but in, in an incredibly short period of time, like on the great grand scales of time, ChatGPT will, there'll be private versions that companies use where they get to plug in all of their data. Right. So all of a sudden it's not just what you can Google, but it's what you can Google and what can be like scraped for all thing. of the in. Yeah. Yeah. So every underwriter now can just ask ChatGPT yeah. a question, and it'll scan the entire underwriting manual and give them reasonably good advice. So I think that's another radical, like the steepness of learning and onboarding and ability to collect information, especially proprietary information, is going to be. That's a great radical. information because that's a getting you point out because that's the main reason Microsoft. Already they thought through this and they brought bought you know like ChatGPT platform. So now. When you when you can actually uh, integrate ChatGPT with internet, it has massive power, and you can harness the power to anything. Like you don't actually have to rely on just a search engine; rather, a human-like bot will take care of the search engine part. All you need to do just ask questions. So you can reducing so much time in going to search engine and looking for information that we usually spend like you know like a, there's a popular site called stack overflow right programmer like yeah. me usually go to stack overflow all the time when you run into <laughs> issues now i some, i feel like uh, using chat gpt would minimize that you know like the exposure to stack overflow i'm not saying the stack overflow is going to go away but in future we might see a better version than stack overflow where we don't have to look for the answers very Theoretically, rather, we will get the answer through a chatbot, and it will be more of like a, I know, 
logical answer than we would have gotten from Stack Overflow. So yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. very excited about all these tools. And that's where I get, I'm glad that actuaries are also on board with that. I'm glad that we have people like you in the community who are continuously exploring those new tools. And not only, you're also like enabling your employee and encouraging people to use those tools that can help actual business practices in the near future. Yeah, like I had uh, an intern and I said, hey, can you build me a graphic interface, you know, a form that we need? And she goes, I've never written in that language. So I just typed in the instructions I gave her to chat GPT and it spit out the code for it. And I said, just copy and paste that in your ID and you're good to go. Right. Like, it, I mean, it took like 15 seconds. Exactly. And like that's. And so it actually that we could talk about this forever. I mean, yeah. Okay. It's such a fascinating topic. But you did say one thing that I find that I generated a thought, which is like how interesting this dynamic that like chat GPT is really harnessing all of the available information on the internet without giving any credit to creation. And so I almost wonder is like the creation of information going to slow because it's just so chat GPT is going to make it so easily accessible. So why would I create or post anything new online? It's just going to be scraped without credit and yeah. given, you know, through chat GPT. No, that's a really good epic. Actually, that's the concern I have when it comes to generative AI, because it's not, sometimes I feel like it's not very ethical because you cannot trace back to the reference original content. And fortunately, my better half is a research scientist and she works in the academia and she used uh, ChatGPT from academic standpoint. And as for the academic stand, standard, you know, whenever they refer, you know, uh, cite anything or, you know, write something, they always look for the citation of the particular references. And my better half, my wife told me that that's one of the limitations of the ChatGPT or generative AI that they are not yeah. giving the reference leak. I feel like in future with this integration with Microsoft Bing, can alleviate that. So maybe we could get more of a like a trustworthy information without having that hallucination impact. But that's one of the limitation of I know, chat GPT. I'm glad you brought it up. And that's kind of my thought process that maybe integration with the Microsoft Bing or Google search engine or any like a futuristic in, uh, search engine might alleviate that. And we would, we would be able to get a trustworthy information and we can also trace back to validate whether the information is correct, accurate or not. So yeah, I, I think I think John Oliver just talked about this too on, on one of his latest shows, but like yeah. the lack of transparency. Yeah. Like the AI generates an answer, but you 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 right now physically can't back out how they got to it. Yeah. So I think I think that's but again, it's it's still a very fascinating to know that at least we have a bot which can give us some information. The validation part is still on us. Uh, we need to make sure that we are validating the proper, like I had an issue with my uh, research paper that I authored a couple of years back. Because when I asked ChatGPT about the original author of that paper, ChatGPT was giving me some misleading information. So those are the limitations of ChatGPT and generative AI, and which I believe they will work on in future. And once the ChatGPT would have access to internet through a search engine like Microsoft Bing, I feel like it would become more powerful and it give us more accurate or trustworthy information. But again, going back to those predictive model, ChatGPT is also a model. It's built on a model. It still has the probabilistic scenario. So that yeah. probability is still not 100% or close to 100%. So the, uh, <laughs> it, it's yeah. time. You know, and actually, and data scientists would understand that for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's still almost humorously incomplete. Like I, I'll just give you an example of it, just like the flaws that are still inherent in it. I said, write me a 12 line poem. And it wrote 16 lines. Something like so simple. Okay. I, I, I never specified. I always ask him to like write a poem. I, I would I'd check that one. That's a really good catch on that, you know, like on your end. Yeah. <laughs> so it is still limited. You know, it's still not, it's not, there's no guaranteed accuracy in the, the information, but I think just inherently as humans, artificial yeah. intelligence, speed to answer, access to all information. We just trust it inherently. Yeah, so, but going back to the original question, so based on your understanding, based one you stated, I mean, actually, actual jobs are gonna get amplified, empowered more by utilizing yeah. AI tools or like ChatGPT or something, but it will never gonna replace actual jobs. It may be- Yeah, well, but I, I think it'll, of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll affect supply demand. And that's the question. How efficient will it make actuaries so that that supply demand of jobs available versus people? Like how much does it make it shrink? 
No, that's, it's that's a continuum. It's not like replace or not. It's like correct. You know, how yeah, much how is going to impact the supply chain? I mean, maybe there will be a new job description world that okay, uh, the next time you look for an actual job, there will be one responsibility. How uh, I mean, are you efficient in ChatGPT or you know? Uh, extracting information by using AI tools. Maybe that there should be a yeah. liners in the key responsibilities for an actual position or even for a data scientist position. So yeah. that, uh, because I, I wrote a couple of, uh, I read a couple of papers and they use ChatGPT as an author. And I think there is a, like a, a paper on PubMed or Nature where they use ChatGPT to derive or, you know, extract some of the information. And they always, they give actually the, you know, authorship, authorship ownership credit to uh, ChatGPT. It's fascinating. So maybe in that way, we might see some sort of like a ChatGPT related skill set in a future, like, you know, resumes or even in job, job description. So, yeah, I'm very fascinating about that. And I'm glad to know that, you know, like even from the actual standpoint, they are not scared about losing their job or afraid of losing their jobs to AI. Rather, you're embracing this technological innovation and try to see how it can help your job sparer. So I think we need to have this broader mindset. So that's how we're gonna embrace AI and make it to our good use uh, from ethical standpoint or maybe, <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, I think that's... <laughs> I think that's all I have for now. I mean, I know we had a really good discussion and, um, but I wanted to actually sum it up by asking you to give us some tips, especially to my listeners or viewers to see uh, if somebody, an actual aspiring student are listening to this discussion. Um, so do you have any tips for um, our listeners or viewers of this podcast sessions that uh, to become an actuary, what kind of mindset you should have? Forget about, toolkit, forget about your mathematical or statistical knowledge. What's the, what kind of mindset do you need to become an actuary and how your organization can help an aspiring student to become an actuary or help them to take uh, actual exams in future? If you just uh, speak a little bit about that, just to sum up this discussion. Yeah, I'll say three things. Um, the first one is just go to beanactuary.org. Um, it's a, I didn't make it. It's a great website. It's a cross, cross collaboration between a lot of people. There is so much content and information. I could not possibly sum it up. If you're interested, that is just such a phenomenal place to start. So that's information. The second one I say would be just habit. Um, I, I mentioned this at the beginning. I believe this is a, a habit for all of humanity, but it is an, it's, it's a, it's table stakes. It's necessity for an actuary which is self-education every day. Um, I would say one of the things I love about being an actuary is that when you're early on, what you should be studying outside of your classes is clear. There are exam manuals, there's, there's specific, you know, great websites to, that support the exams that you can literally just sign up and start studying like immediately where, you know, as a data scientist, there's a, there's a million programs you can learn and things. So like figuring out what the right thing is. So as actuaries, it's lucky, but the habit is the same. You have to study every day. Even if it's a little bit, you just have, don't worry about when you take the exam, just worry about the habit. Um, and then the third thing I'll say is that you have to just get connected and involved. Um, if you're a student at a university, see if there's a club at your university. If there is not a club at your university, reach out to me. Charles Johnson, you can find me on LinkedIn, actualdevelopment.com. That's my website. You can, you can reach out to us uh, there. Uh, I, one of our big goals is that, like one, the journey is difficult and it's kind of scary to go alone. So we help connect and build communities for actuaries. And we also host a variety of in-person events that are collaboration between colleges. So there's probably events going on in your area. Um, and then I personally go and speak at colleges no matter the size of the program, even if there's just a couple students that are interested in pursuing, where I can really dive into the profession, the journey, and, and what it takes. And um, so, uh, you know, be an actually great place to start. Study every day if you're looking something actionable, and then just reach out to me and, and look around your college to figure out how to get connected to other people in that journey. Those are some great tips, Charles, and thank you for that. And 
thank you for this intriguing discussion. I, I, I will <laughs> continue more because we literally started talking about some of the interesting and futuristic topics that will keep our conversation going and maybe we'll include more actuaries in future. And for my viewers and listeners, um, just check the video caption and the podcast caption where I would drop, you know, um, Charles, uh, the website of Charles' company, the actual development energy. He's also a TED speaker, so if you're interested to get some tips about public speaking, please reach out to him on LinkedIn. And uh, that's all for now, Charles. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our discussion, and uh, I'll hope to connect with you in future. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Sam.